We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. I'm Eric Balkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Balkman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners only 10% discount to Rotoviz by using the code RVRADIO2022. That's RVRA. DIO2022. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the Rotoviz content and tools, and it supports the podcast channel. Now, without further ado, here's the latest edition of the Rotoviz High Stakes Lowdown. Welcome in, welcome in, welcome in, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in for yet another edition of the Rotoviz High Stakes Lowdown. I am, of course, Eric Balkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, the Better Sports Network, and the FFPC. Uh, before we uh, bring on tonight's guest, I do want to remind everybody that you can play the FFPC Weekly Challenge. No draft or salary cap. Just choose 10 players or 12 players, depending upon if you want to play the classic format with the kickers and defenses or the slim format without kickers and defenses. Uh, and then you can just watch them ride through the weekend's games as long as you're in uh, before kickoff. You're in. Remember, only one player per NFL team, 35 bucks to enter or $200 to enter, whatever price point you like there. There's 30 team contests, 150 team contests, and new something new that we added this week, $200 entry, a 10-team league, winner takes all. And that winner will get a free entry into the 2023 FFPC main event, uh, a contest that this year has a $1 million grand prize as well. Now, that's not the only contest we have going on at the FFPC. In fact, uh, another one, probably our second biggest event, which I guess by number of entrants, it's our biggest event. Uh, and I want to welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, the guy who uh, is leading the whole enchilada heading into week four, almost ahead of 15,000 teams. We're going to talk about how we knew Amon Ross St. Brown was going to be awesome this year, or he had to have because he loaded up on him. We're going to talk about what offenses are worrying him uh, this year right now as we have three weeks of play behind us and much more. Um, I do uh, want to uh, remind you that you can follow him on Twitter at Frank Laprad, and let's bring him in right now, ladies and gentlemen, the leader in the Football Guys Players Championship heading into week four, Frank Laprad. Frank, welcome in, man. Hey, thanks, Balky. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate so this it. Oh, always, man. It's always fun to chop it up with you uh, for sure. And I guess, you know, I've never been in the situation that you're in right now, but what's it like when you know that nearly 15,000 other teams are in this contest, seeing your name at the top, it's got to be awesome. But then you realize, oh man, I got another 14 weeks to go before I can actually cash this 500 grand. It's got to be an interesting feeling, right? Yeah. I've never been in this position either, but you know, Balky, unless the FFPC has created some big prize money for leading week three, um, it, it's been a nice thing. You know, we all like teams yeah, right. that seem to have some juice. Um, and I've had some, you know, nice comments from people in the industry, you know, kind of congratulations. So tiny little victory lap. But but you know how this thing works, right? Uh, football guys main event is just full of amazing players um, and they are lurking around 
you know, Aviv who won the past two years, you know, yep. he's like circling around somewhere out there. Mm-hmm. And, and 14 weeks is a long time. This thing's a demolition derby, you know, like who, so, so who knows? So I guess my answer is, uh, you know, I'll take it. Uh, but you know, what did Bill Belichick say on to Cincinnati? It's we're on, on to, Cincinnati. And we're on to Cincinnati tonight. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, so this is interesting because I've never heard it called the demolition derby before, but as I'm thinking about that in my mind, that's actually a better uh, modifier or, or comparison to what the, the FPC and the FFPC main event is. It's not a marathon marathons. You're just running against yourself and trying to beat it a time. Right. But in a demolition derby, you're trying to smash everybody else up and be the last guy standing. And in the NFL, that's a tough thing to do, especially with, and I don't want to say we've been hit hard by injuries early on, but we've been hit by injuries and, and it's survival even to get to week four with your team intact. And it seems like you've done that in a bunch of your teams so far. I mean, I've had some, some really, really good luck on that. But when you think about the entire season, I look back on good teams that I've had, you know, in past years, you look at the draft board, look at the team at the end of the year, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy how different it is. And I think a demolition derby, you know, every waiver night, we're all trying to duct tape the thing up and like hope the radiator doesn't explode and you get the surprise news, you know, CMC has a kick quad injury, you know, whatever it is that right. way. And you, and you've got to adapt. And, and that's why I think you see, you know, I just follow a lot of really sharp players and you see them do well every year uh, because they not only draft well, but they, they manage their teams incredibly well. Um, so you went, and I don't think this is an actual industry term, but you went super zero RB uh, on this first place team overall in the draft. A lot of people would be surprised to realize that um, when they looked at your team this week and, and saw that you were leading the whole thing and they looked at your draft, you didn't take your first running back until the middle of the seventh round. Seventh round, that means the first six picks were all receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks. Um, it's Tony Pollard that you went in the seventh. I want to not only get in your mind um, about your process in this draft specifically, but sort of your feelings on zero RB in general. Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, my mom said at the dinner table, never talk about politics, religion, or zero RB. <laughs> uh, because it tends to not, you know, it's like talking about crypto or NFTs or something. <laughs> you know, everybody's got a pretty strong opinion. So I'm going to ask for some license. This is my opinion. Who knows how right. it's going to work out. But you use the term super zero RB. Mm-hmm. I'm totally radicalized. This this is just how I draft. There's nothing super about it. You know, if I'm well, going to be. And, and I'll, t- I'll t- just let me let me clarify. Oh, I yeah. call it super zero RB because zero RB to me, and I know everybody's got their own definition, but um, super zero RB to me is the first five picks, right? Um, that you go non running back and whether you use them on quarterbacks, tight ends, receivers, whatever. But to me, super zero RB starts if you go six rounds without without uh, taking a running back. And then I don't know. If you go seven rounds, it's ultra zero RB. And, and then it's like eight rounds, it's platinum zero RB. I don't know. I'm just making these terms up. No, no, I no. no, no. I love, I'm having fun with the term because like the debate of zero RB and the definition is like an existential debate in the industry. But, I, you know, in that draft, I went eight of the first nine picks were not running back. And I'll be honest with you, I looked at I hadn't looked at the draft till before the show. Mm-hmm. I, if I had it to do over, I'd take Drake London over Tony Pollard. But this is uh but 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 this is how I draft. Like pretty much pretty much the way I draft is if I'm like in the one or two spot, I took CMC or Jonathan Taylor, like an anchor running back. I might take a Barkley or a Swift or Javante. I'll come back to that later. Uh maybe. But but it's all the same principle. You know, I, I, the way I got fully radicalized was actually during pros versus Joe's. You were there in 2020 mm-hmm. and Evan Silva was in the league, but Pete, Pete Overzet was in the 12 spot. And, you know, I was doing like, I'm a Gen X, but like the boomer, I'm in my new balance shoes, wearing khakis, taking David Montgomery and Zeke or whatever I'm doing. <laughs> he was in the 12 spot. He took six straight RBs to open and it got my attention. And I think, you know, people have such a diverse opinion on this, but I went and that's how I started looking into Pete and his shows and ship chasing and some of that. But I became really convinced that this was the right way to draft. Mm-hmm. Um, when you just look at the bust rates of top running backs, when you look at the injury rates, when you look at how points are scored in a full PPR league and it kind of started there that year, really drafting, you know, very heavy. I think, I think some players, when we talk about zero RB, if you go back and read Sean Siegel's article, which is kind of the godfather of the whole thing, yep. 
because the point of it is to be dominant at wide receiver, understanding some wide receivers will bust, some are going to get hurt, you have bye weeks. I think you have to go like seven of the first nine. You know what I mean? You have to be really, really heavy on wide receiver and target an elite quarterback and an elite tight end. And the choice you're making is I'm going to figure out running back later. Now, there are very good arguments on the other side of this. And, you know, we've all seen the Alvin Kamara years. You know, you may have to have a running back to win this thing. So I'm not saying like it's proven, but I think the first three weeks, you know, so far you've seen wide receivers really hit and you've seen, um, you know, running backs, you know, not bust, but kind of not performing the way probably many had hoped. I, I think the, la the last thing I'd say is I saw a big shift this year in the FFPC, particularly in the main event. Um, we've all, we all know, I don't know. I mean, I know some players, but you know, their names you've drafted with them for years. Mm -hmm. uh, Pete and Pat Corain and Ben Gretchen, those guys coined a term called the wide, I think they coined it the wide receiver avalanche. That was alive and well, I was in a bunch of drafts where, you know, there'd be like almost a two to one wide receivers going in the first six rounds versus yeah. running backs. So I, you know, and, and you were just praying to, to like you're taking Elijah Moore in the fifth or something. You know, you're just trying to get your your wide receivers. So I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, yeah, you, definitely. Uh, but, but, but I think, you know, that's the thesis behind it is how a lot of people are, are drafting. So, so I, just so I, I'm clear on this, if you are in the first two spots or were in the first two spots this year, usually Taylor or, or McCaffrey, maybe you peppered in a Barkley or a Swift every so often in the first round. But other than that, you're you're pretty much going zero RB in in the major the wide majority of your drafts. I would say I I haven't done a breakdown, but I'm either I'm always using what I would call zero RB principles. This will drive people nuts who talk about the definition of zero RB. But you know the thesis of get try to be dominant at wide receiver, elite quarterback, elite tight end. I would say virtually all my drafts were either an anchor running back. I have a portfolio of teams. So if I'm in the one or two, if I'm ever going to get Taylor or CMC, you kind of have to take them there. Right. You would then see a string of yellow. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought, I think Saquon, Saquon's turned out to be a great pick. I thought Saquon was interesting. DeAndre Swift. I'm hoping Javante can become injured. I may just be wrong about that one. I took a little bit of Aaron Jones, probably wrong about that one. So yeah, we'll see. I think it's early on Jones and Williams. Well, you're the Green Bay guy. I, I need your uh, I need your reassurance <laughs> well, on this. I'll tell you this right now regarding Aaron Jones. And and I was trumpeting this on, on Sirius or whoever would have me on their podcast. I said, listen, Aaron Jones was – I know it was a small sample size when Devontae Adams was, um, was out, you know, in the seven games that they had played. But Jones was awesome in like six of those games. Not good. He was awesome. And I was just telling everybody, like, you need to load up on Aaron Jones. And then his ADP got not that I, I wouldn't say I pushed his ADP up. I didn't. But other people did. Um, and then all of a sudden he was for a while, he was like a mid second, maybe even early second round pick. Then he slipped again a little bit. And I feel like that's that's when everybody should have been pouncing on him. As far as the rest of the season goes, I still remain unconvinced that Romeo Dobbs is going to be like sort of this one, you know, one A or one B receiver the remainder of the year. Um, I thought what he did against Tampa was great. I, I don't necessarily think he is ready or mature enough to sustain that on a weekly level, especially in that offense. Um, Robert Tunyon really hasn't done much so far. Yeah. Alan Lazard hasn't done much. Sammy Watkins is already hurt. Christian Watson's already hurt. Um, and, and I look at what Aaron Jones does, not only the run game, but the pass game. He is the best player on the field, the best offensive weapon on the right. field. Matt LaFleur is not stupid. He is going to use him. He's going to have bad games here and there. Everybody does. But I'm, I am unconvinced that that Aaron Jones was a miss for you. I, I think he's going to turn around. I think he's going to be a big well, time player this year. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, he certainly really hasn't hurt too much. It's like, what you know, what is his upside from here? But he's an explosive player. I uh, So, you know, if I took an anchor RB, I would kind of still load up on wide receiver and try to get the other positions. I have a lot of teams that are zero RB and, you know, where I'm taking my first running back. Pollard was actually pretty early for I would take a running back in a true zero RB build. Um, but on that team, you know, I love the player. You just hope they'll use him. He's got a lot of contingent value. And, you know, he is my anchor running back, you know, on that team, which is horrifying to people that draft real running backs. But uh, um, yeah, I, I think regardless of how it all turns out, what I think is interesting about being in fantasy and the FFPC where you have so much flexibility, you can build a team so many ways, right? right. So, yep. So we'll see how, how I do and our zero RB truthers.
there may be a legendary running back uh, you have to have to win the whole thing. It's how it is every year, right? And, yeah. And I, maybe, hey, maybe it's Pollard. Maybe uh, Elliot gets hurt at the wrong time and Pollard goes ham. You never know. I mean, it, it, these things are – they. Maybe it's Khalil Herbert. You never maybe it's Khalil him. Herbert. I you, mean, know. you know, we, we don't know. Maybe it's Justice Hill. Maybe it's Gus Edwards. You know, we I don't know. Um, it, it is interesting this past week, though. You can see, like, Nick Chubb is just an amazing running back. But I, at one point, I don't know if it ended up like five of the top six running backs. There are things, people like this, like Ramonde, Ramondre Stevenson, yep. Khalil Herbert, Cordero Patterson. You know, these are all pe- players you could have gotten in mid to later rounds. Mm-hmm. And um, at least structurally, that's how I approached teams i do i do surround myself on my, in my own little bubble at this point because uh you know i'm i'm like in discords with the some of the ship chasers and i'm watching all the people that are zero you know i'm in my own echo chamber <laughs> yes um with i guess peter rosette is the pied piper of i would that. say so he's he's right up there if, if he's not the pied piper he's definitely one of the top three for sure yeah yeah but uh but uh i enjoy the community and uh you know that's how i draft for better or for worse. And it's been like this last, this is like your third year that you've really gone all in on zero RB. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say part of the year in 2020, you know, I was drafting, you know, what, you know, a little more robust RB kind of balanced um, value drafting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the two, the two things I've changed one have gone very heavy zero RB since then. And like almost immediately, I just did like the, I got obsessed and went down the rabbit trail and, you know, um, the other thing is there's different views on diversification. I tend, there's a really good argument called spread out your exposures if you're playing a portfolio, obviously. For me, that's a little bit diversification. You know, I, for better or for worse, I go get some pretty large exposures to players I really like um, in that structure. You know, it doesn't mean they're going to pay off. They can, it's kind of boom or bust, to be honest. And I've had both happen. But I would say those two things, the structural drafting and then really trying to have some conviction about who I fade. And then who I load up on has been the difference. I would say the difference so far, or one of the big differences so far this year, is a player you did have conviction in, a, a player that you're not ashamed to have a huge exposure to. He's on nearly 40% of your FFPC rosters. Uh, he's your fifth most owned player right now. And we let Amon Ross St. Brown tumble down drafts. You got him. You scooped him up in a lot of spots. We just talked with Jamie Cox on the AHSFFR last Friday. He had Amon Ross St. Brown in his second place football guys team. You're now ahead of him with Amon Ross St. Brown. What, what, what did you see in Amon Ross St. Brown this year that seemingly 90 plus percent of the rest of the field just couldn't see? Yeah. I, look, I think a lot of people got on the sun God over time. For, for me, and then there's a little bit of the, you know, you had the hard knocks effect. Wait, oh, yeah. going, you go back to my first drafts in June. Um, I thought he was the most mispriced player. Um, but, but, but the reason was, was, or the process behind it, or the thought process behind it was, we spend a ton of time, every player, thinking about what opportunities a rookie's going to have, what was their player profile, what was their college dominator, you know, did they come out early, all these factors that tend to lead to they're going to be successful in the NFL. Everybody's trying to hypothesize what second-year player is going to break out. Mm-hmm. Amon Ra, you got to see it. I mean, this is a case of, like, your player profile versus your lion eyes. You know, we it wasn't a one-week sample. It was a six-week sample. We got to see him last year. I think he was wide receiver two uh, during that time. Doesn't mean he's going to be that this year. But when you're when you're trying to project a ceiling, you got to see a ceiling. The wrap on him was, you know, kind of his college profile, pedigree, draft capital, all that. Um, I think that I think you get get too twisted around the axle and hanging on to that once you see how they're going to use him. Uh, and how he performed. The other big rap was, well, Hawkinson was out, Swift was out, so it consolidated the targets. I don't think that was a negative. I think that was a positive, meaning he was the only show in town. Everybody knew it, and he still got open. It will. He was getting 35 40% target shares. So, and I love the narrative, John Brown's kid, tough kid. You know, he's naming like the 17 people drafted ahead of him. I love the Lions, Dan Campbell. I mean, I'm all in on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, there was probably a bit of that bias. But I, look, I, you know, it, 
my thought, this could have turned out to be like, he's a perfectly fine player in the mid fifth round. And I chased him up as far as I could in the fourth round. It became, if you didn't have a later draft, he was going early fourth by the end of the whole thing. So he's hard to get. Um, but, uh, you know, I just kind of thought, well, I've seen him do it and he's either going to be fine at that price, but his ceiling could be astronomical. And let's hope he's, let's hope he's good for, for next week. Maybe. Yeah. And, and I want to get into that in a second, but before we go forward on, on Amon Ross St. Brown, if he doesn't go this week, um, and maybe the answer to this question is there's nobody it's zero, but was there anybody else that you would put in the same bucket as Amon Ross St. Brown this year? Was there anybody else that you, you saw a, a market inefficiency and you, you realized people are letting this guy slip too far. I'm going to nab him everywhere. Besides St. Brown, Frank, was, was there anybody else that, that, that you have loaded up on because of those you know, similar reasons. Yeah. I mean, I really loaded up on AJ Brown and Jalen hurts. Um, just on the thesis that offense is going to be a lot better. You know, I mentioned Ben Gratch, who, who's just a great analyst, but he wrote a great piece on AJ Brown that really kind of reconfirmed my, so I think I'm at like something like 29% Jalen hurts or, you know, around the high twenties on both of them. Um, um, and yeah, but but just on the theory, we were going to see a big step forward. AJ Brown committed to that offense is going to unlock it. Devonta Smith has been incredible, so I I wish I were heavier on him. But but I think those were the um, Garrett Wilson's also somebody that I have in the high twenties. Um, he's just going so late, you know, and right. he's seen such a talent in college. Like, what? Why not? You know. Uh, Thomas Clay is piping in on the Facebook chat. He says, James Robinson, how do you, how are you on James Robinson shares this year? How are you treating him coming off the Achilles tear in drafts? Well, look, I love James Robinson and it's like, I love football, right? And I love the player. So I love seeing him do well. I love, absolutely. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, my exposure on him is 0.0 shares. So it's not kind of where I would want, um, but that's part of the, like, you know, you don't get them all right. Like I could, if you ask me a question, name people you've missed on, there's going to be a whole laundry list. And, mm-hmm. um, but because of the way I draft, James Robinson was not going to be in my, you know what I mean? Just structurally the way I'm drafting. See, I would, th- I would have thought that he would have been, especially when he was going later, in, you know, during in like no. June and July drafts, right? No, that, that was a miss on my part. When he was going late, okay. well, I mean, the reason I wasn't taking him is like, it's really a miracle. Maybe, maybe they've perfected Achilles surgery, but I got, you know, if it were two years in, you would say, because the guy has looked amazing, incredible in his career. Coming back this early from an Achilles, you know, my own expectation was that's going to be a tough way to live. That was reflected in Travis Etienne's price, by the way. Right. You know, he's going to be a workhorse back and, and all that. I'm so I'm thrilled to see him back in in like killing it. He's doing great. I wish I had a bunch of him, um, but I don't. I, I don't because reg- I have almost nothing of James Robinson this year as well. And I don't regret it, too, because, well, I'll say this. And I think I said this on the HSFFR a couple of weeks ago. I don't think normal rules and reality apply to two people in the NFL. It's Tom Brady and it's James Robinson, because what they've been able to do is nothing short of amazing. Uh, Brady, for obvious reasons, but. Think about what Robinson did as an undrafted rookie free agent from Illinois State who comes into a horrible team and he finishes his RB3. Then he tears his Achilles. You think, okay, the Cinderella story is over. No, not only did he did he come back from that, he was ready by week one and he's out playing the first round pick that Jacksonville uh, you know, was excited yeah. to deploy this year. It's that incredible. Guy has, that guy had, I totally, he's got different DNA. I yeah. mean, but, but, you know, if you started, if I said, hey, look, I've got a deal for you. Here's the player profile. The Jags were a disaster last year. And this guy's coming off an Achilles and, you know, he's got to be back week one. Why don't you draft him? I mean, you know, I, you know, I shied away from him wrongly. Um, but, you know, if I end up getting a little buried by James Robinson, that's one of those feel good stories. I'll take the L and just uh, be happy for the for the player. Be happy for James Robinson. Absolutely. Getting yeah. back to St. Brown now. Uh, no practice yesterday, no practice today. He's still got a chance to get out there tomorrow. And normally I'd say, oh, you know, Frank, you got to be nervous about this. I looked at your roster. God, you have like probably four or five solid options that you can deploy if uh, if, if St. Brown can't go uh, this week. Do you have what, – what's your inkling right now? Who do you think is well, going to go in there if St. Brown can't go? Yeah. If I just look, pull up um, most of my team, I've got him in so many places but because of the way the, I draw. The, fir- the first place team, I, I was I, – I was yeah, yeah, I, I, and how deep that team is. 
Yeah, so I have options there. You know, you have Brandon Ayuk, Garrett Wilson, Isaiah McKenzie. We could roll with one of them. If I look generally, though, I'm, I was taking such deep wide receiver. You know, a lot of these teams are going to have a Devonta Smith, a Drake London, a Garrett Wilson, you know, type, Chris Olave, mm-hmm. something like that. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing. You see rookie breakouts every year, but you're just seeing like a ton of pretty early breakouts on those. So across the portfolio, I think you'll probably see those kind of players. Um, okay. So, so this is a good question here for you. And and I think I might know the answer, but Jordan Mason, I noticed was a, I wouldn't say a high priority ad for you on the waiver wire, but you added them in a lot of leagues, a lot of your football guys, leagues, main event leagues, so on and so forth. Why was an undrafted free agent like him, such a, a guy that, that you made sure that you got on a bunch of your teams. Um, he's one of your most owned players now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, I think I cornered the market on him. We'll get to, <laughs> you uh, fight him. Look, I, I was actually drafting him in August. Oh, in were you really? Good for yeah. you. I didn't even realize. And I went out and got him, I think, almost everywhere. But, 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 but here's the reason, although this is not panned out, although I will tell you he's averaging seven yards a carry. Mm-hmm. That's on a small sample of one carry, but you never know. Hey, it, num- we use the numbers to fit our narrative, okay? So I have no problem with yeah, this. Yeah, it's data. It's, just, it's totally justifiable. <laughs> but Shanahan will play anybody, right? He doesn't care about draft capital. We saw that with Trey Sermon getting cut. You know, uh, you've got Jeff Wilson, who's a you know good back. TDP did not look good. He averaged 2.4 yards a carry that week he was in. So Jordan Mason was essentially a free piece of a backfield I like. They're going to run a lot. Um and, you know, he's 6'1", about 240 pounds. He played – I'm an, I'm a Wake fan. I watch a lot of ACC games. He played at Georgia Tech. Got got his workload cut his last year before he came out. But as a freshman, he looked really, really good. But, it, you know, guy hits the hole, falls forward, you know. So when Eli Mitchell, who I really like, but he's an undrafted – what was he, a seventh-round draft pick or undrafted? He's a sixth. Yeah, yeah. But Eli Mitchell. Pick, yeah. You know, is the bell cow for them. Like, it's not beyond comprehension – now, it hasn't quite panned out that well uh, so far. I'm hanging on to him for at least another week. Going to see what emerges. Um, because they, they're going to run it like 35 times a game. So, you know, we'll see. The nice thing is on on when you're getting essentially free running backs, if it's not working out, I'll cut him and add another, you know, stab, you know, kind of lottery. Right. And kind of hope for the best. Yeah. Um, 
I never like those roster cloggers, right? The guys that are like, ah, you know, maybe there is something here. I don't want to cut them this week. But I like the guys that are literally boom or bust because you can give them a couple of weeks, and if they haven't done anything, then, then you release them, and you don't feel bad about it. It's not a painful drop because they haven't done anything. And, and I think that's that's another advantage that, that people maybe don't talk about a, a whole lot with zero RB is because you are taking these running back stabs both in the mid-rounds and in the late rounds. The, the, the last part of your roster, those last three or four picks, it's so easy to churn those three to four picks every single week. So you're always, as long as you're managing your bidding dollars, right, you're always getting some like really good targets off the waiver wire on a weekly basis, not just one, one or two times, on a weekly basis. It's a, it's a great point, and you make a really astute point around contingent value. Turning this to have a running back whose ceiling is going to be, well, they ran for 25 yards and you know got six carries and three receptions. I mean, I'll I'll have some players like that on my roster because you got I've got to start someone that gets some points basically. But you know, to me, like my highest, my two highest drafted players, highest drafted drafted wide receiver was Amon Ra. Uh, um, Why am I drawing a blank here? Who's the Back up. Oh, you know, Benjamin for mm-hmm. the Cardinals. You can see a profile there of that guy getting a James Conner type workload. J- Jalen Warren is the epitome of this. You know what I mean? Like, like that guy could have looks good and could have a huge workload under the right circumstances. And you hold him for a while and kind of see how it pans out. I mean, the one everybody drafted mid round was Rashad White on the contingent yep. value yep. with that offense. Um, yeah, so there, there'll be some churn, but I'm going to. I have a bit of a Jordan Mason thing, I guess. So I'm just going to hang on to him and he'll, he'll either be Derek Henry or Elijah Penny, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and, and keep in mind too, that at some point, Eli Mitchell will be back at some point TDP will be back and, and maybe he won't make a difference. Cause you're right. He didn't look good when he was in there, but at that point, do you want to keep around the, the, the third string or fourth string running back um, with some of these leagues, you know, it's, yeah. it's easy to cut, move on to the next guy uh, for sure. Now I, I, I didn't realize you drafted Jordan Mason all these leagues. I don't think oh, no, 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 drafted, no, no. I, I drafted um, him in uh, Greg Dortch in, in any leagues at all this year. I know he was such a hot waiver wire uh, commodity after uh, week one and week two, really. And it seems like as long as Rondale Moore is not out there, as long as DeAndre Hopkins is not out there, now they're probably not going to have A.J. Green out there. Dortch is rosterable and maybe startable and flexible in, in some of these FFPC leagues where you have the two flexes. But once these guys come back, does Dorch everything he's done for this team, does, do they just throw that out the window, put them on the bench, let Moore and Hopkins and Marquise Brown and all these guys soak up all the wide receiver snaps? Or is there something to Dorch uh, from a season-long perspective that this guy could keep doing it when Arizona gets healthy? Yeah, by the way, I, I wanted to make it clear. I didn't mean to talk over you earlier, Bucky, that I didn't – I drafted a little Jordan Mason. I mainly picked him up on the waiver wire. Okay, but- got it. I, but that's – I don't – even it's one league. I mean, yeah. I did not know. I did not realize people were drafting Jordan Mason at all. So, well, and I'm, this is, you know, this is part of the reason that your first place overall in the Football Guys Players Championship because they're doing stuff that nobody else is doing. Well, Greg Dorch, uh, look, I, I, something like I think eleven people in my family went to Wake Forest. My grandfather, my dad, I went to law school there. So I'm a lifelong Wake fan with all the uh, suffering that has come along with that. Uh, till Big they, game against Florida State this Saturday too. Yeah, and uh, should have beat Clemson, but yes, but I get to watch every play Greg Dorch had in college, and he doesn't have the he didn't have the athletic ability or certainly the speed of a Rondale Moore. He's kind of bounced around, but that guy is a touchdown machine. He is always open, uh, and he is tough as nails. It's like he's like the Justin Herbert of wide receivers. Like in college, he's like oh, a broken sternum or something. He had some, you know, just keeps playing, scoring touchdowns. So I have this biased, but probably more familiar view of Greg Dorch than most most players who are not watching the, you know, he's 25 now, the three-year-ago wide receiver for Wake Forest. But but I thought he could play. I was just thrilled Greg Dorch made the active roster for the Cardinals, just as a fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I saw he might get a shot, I picked him up everywhere. I mean, literally, I think I have him on 95% of my teams. And I didn't just pick him up. I've started him twice on most many of these teams. Um. And I think he's played really well. There's no doubt in my mind that Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury is is so fake sharp and terrible. I have no doubt like A.J. Brown will be starting over probably Rondale and Greg Dorch. Yeah. 
I have a lot of Rondale. Rondale's a, an amazing talent. And uh, if I had to if I had to bet on it, I'd say Greg Dorch gets a way diminished role, you know, yeah. when Rondale comes back. But it's not obvious. It's not zero. It's a non-zero chance that Rondale's the better athlete, but Greg Dorch may be the better receiver for that offense. Um, unlikely, but, you know, I'm going to keep him. I've already gotten for whatever few dollars I paid to get Greg Dorch, I've started him in a number of games um, and people get injured and I'm going to hang on to him. You know, I'll, he, I've got room on my bench and if he becomes viable again, you know, he can play, but it's one of those fun stories of a guy that's bounced around to a lot of practice squads, finally got on the big stage and, you know, did, did pretty darn well for himself. I would say so. I would have. And, and, and I, and I had, Rondell Moore was never a guy I was super excited about drafting this year, but I did draft him in a lot of spots. But he's another guy, too. I'm totally going to keep him around, see what happens this year. Could be a breakout. You never know. Uh, but definitely, you bet on the talent in that case and wait till he proves he can't play, and, and then you cut him loose, and we may not see that this year. Um, we talked about um, the the, play, the other players earlier in the podcast about uh, th- that you nailed three weeks in, that you're really happy. I'm on Ross St. Brown. A.J. Brown, you would mentioned as well. Um, but sometimes I think we can learn more from our mistakes. And there's plenty of people out here who are not leading the FF, uh, FFP or football guys players championship right now that did have some misses. Um, you mentioned a couple of your misses as well. James Robinson, I think was one that you wish you had more of um, two packer at two packer on Twitter. Ron Meyer always says um, in this group chat, we have um, he, he texts in whenever somebody's doing poorly or when somebody gets hurt, he always says blah, blah, blah to IR or blah, blah, blah with, you know, uh, three catches in four weeks. And then he always adds on to it. Those zero shares of him are really going to hurt. Right. Yeah. And and like, you know, just saying like, I was right about this guy not to draft him. Are there any guys that you look at three weeks in where a lot of people are like, I can't believe this guy is stinking it up so bad where you have zero shares of him. And you're like, I could have told you he wasn't going to be very good this year. Um, there's a whole bunch of people that I fade. So part of it is like with running backs, I'm just not taking a lot of running backs early. Right. Um, but some, some players that people were really on like Cortland Sutton, Mike Williams, I think I have 2% shares of them, you know, now was that because they were rising to a portion in drafts that you weren't comfortable? It's really at ADP. I don't think people who have Cortland Sutton or Mike Williams are going to be in trouble. Like they'll probably do fine, but I thought they were being drafted at their ceiling. So when I'm looking at who I'm, who I'm going to fade, hold on one second. Yeah, no problem. Sorry that there, uh, somebody coming in here. Um, when I look at who I'm going to fade, part of that is just the price, right? Do I see upside from where they are? Uh, so there are just a bunch of players. I mean, there's the Zeeks and the David Montgomery. I have zero. We can make a long list of running backs called I have no shares of these, you know, uh, running backs. Um, some of the teams, I mean, I think the Broncos, part of what made me unsettled about the Broncos was just I thought they could be a bad team. Or not very good team. You know, okay. Now, there's a lot of people that were thinking, this te- Russell Wilson, Sutton, Javante Williams, this team's going to be awesome this year. Why did you think that they might not be a very good team? I have a really good friend, one of my best friends. His family is a multi-generational Seahawks fan. So I tend to pull for the Seahawks, and I've watched them for, for many, many years. He just hasn't looked good. You remember after he hurt his foot, and then he hurt his you know? Like, yeah. You know, so the whole thing was, well, Pete Carroll won't let him cook, although he's letting Gino cook. So Gino gets to cook. So maybe Pete knew something. And then they pay like $250 million, bring him to the Broncos. Here's a team loaded with talent on offense and on defense. Um, And there were a lot of, by the way, it doesn't mean I'm right. Like Russell Wilson and these in Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy may just blow up the rest of the year for all, for all I know. I just didn't think number one, that, that Russell was, you know, as good as we like the savior that we thought he was going to be when he came there. The other part, you know, some really good receivers, even with a terrible quarterback play, will still play pretty well. You know, I hadn't seen a ton from Judy. He got injured. I haven't seen that from Sutton in a while. Like, I, I wasn't convinced, like, that wasn't a sig- meaningful downgrade from, you know, DK and Tyler Lockett, to be honest with you, who mm-hmm. were, you know, amazingly talented. So it's a little bit of a gut feel. I just tended to really shy away. I have some Judy. I have some Javante. I actually thought they might run the ball more than people expected as well. I would. You know, we got Nathaniel Hackett running Mike Boone out there. Like, right. I don't Yeah. Yeah. The whole Broncos thing, 
I don't get tilted about players. Play, I was players. This is a violent game. They're all trying hard. People have bad weeks. I just never get tilted about a player. Coaches, we can oh, talk yeah. about this more if you want to. But yes, we should. We should yeah. explore this, Frank. Well, the handle, the Nathaniel Hack is a clown show. I mean, like can't get plays in, doesn't know how to manage the clock. The offensive, my son's high school team doesn't get delay of game penalties. Right. They're calling plays in on a like a card, like cardboard. They don't have radio headsets. It's just mind-boggling. The team's so bad. I, they're two and one, and you know he's going. You know he's walking around going. You know I'm killing it. You know <laughs> I know they don't get it, but I'm probably I'm doing. I'm two and one. It's the worst two and one ever. That that team looks abysmal. The places I do have some chairs around Javante and around Jerry Judy. I am concerned. I'm just concerned mm-hmm. about the entire thing. And if you look across the NFL, like you can look at the Jags, you can look at Miami, look at what's happened at the Jags, right? Went from urban Meyer chaos. Like they're good. They look great. Miami. Great. The scheme is great. Um, You know, I think the lions with with Dan Campbell's doing there. I love Dan Campbell and, you know, they've lost some tough games, but they're on the right path. You can see what good coaches are doing. Bad coaches. Like the Bears, this is like Newt, Newt Rockney or I mean, like it's unwatchable. It's un, it's historically bad. You look at the Panthers, just destroying the value yeah. of McCaffrey and DJ Moore. DJ Moore, sure. But there are good teams. You look at the Colts; they look abysmal. I love Mike Tomlin, but rolling out Mitch Trubisky when you've got like great receivers and yeah. like that's terrible. The Raiders, you know, that's terrible. The biggest one, the Cardinals. I mean, the thing has no, it, it's, it's embarrassingly bad. So I just get, that's where I get tilted more in fantasy. I watch these games. I'm watching red zone. You spend, we all are right. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to blame a player. Things happen. You know, that's a tough environment, but if you're a coach, there are 32 coaching jobs and you know, we know what good coaching looks like and you've, and I can probably name more and you've got like some big contingent. It's terrible. And you got like Robert Sala. I like Robert Sala and where the Jets are headed. Remember that quote he had, Balky? He said, like, I'm saving my receipts. Keeping receipts. Yeah. yeah saving I'm, the receipts. I'm, I'm keeping receipts. All of us fans, you know, when you spend a couple of grand to go to a game and you're buying merchandise and people are wagering on this and we're playing fantasy, I've got college tuition invested in a fantasy football league. Uh, you know, I'm keeping receipts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the part. This is not really about Robert Sala, but when you look at some of these coaches and some of these franchises, fans put so much and they spend so much of their time and money. And then when they put a product out there that does this, well, you can tell I get that. that that's where I, I get tilted. Um, so I, I want to let, let's apply this to fantasy. You must look at, I mean, you probably invest quite a bit in, looking at coaches and what the, what their track record is, what they've done, what you expect them to do. Um, not just player evaluation when you're making choices in your drafts, but coaches factor into this quite a bit for you too, as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, when I say I'm looking at it, I'm looking at analysts who I think are really, really incredible sharp who are looking at pace of play and they're looking at scheme and they're looking at like pass rates over expectation and all, you know, all the data that, mo- that most of us are looking at. So I'm getting that from a variety of sources but at a base level, you're just like honestly taking players from good teams usually works out a little better than taking players from mm-hmm. bad. Teams. The so hard it's an part easy, is, easy game, right? <laughs> well, well, in that sense, it's an easy game. The hard part is when you say, "Look, I know the team isn't going to be that good." Darnell Mooney is a great example, right? I think he's a talented mm-hmm. receiver. You know, he's probably got a thirty-five percent target share because he's got like two targets. You know, like mm-hmm. the, it's just the way Matt Nagy was terrible. I hope I'm sure none of them are going to watch the show. Please don't tell them I said all this. Like, you know, well, they, they, I'm sure I'll get angry emails yeah. from them later. But go on. Yeah, but pass them on to me. It's fine. But, but he was. But I remember saying like, well, it can't be any worse. You know, right. it just can't be any worse than that. Well, it's worse. And the, those are the, yeah, those are the. It's the tough part of fantasy, right? Like you're trying to find good offenses or players that you think can still succeed in a t- in a bad situation. Um, I want to get back to um, sort of a draft philo- uh, philosophical question here. Um, much like running backs, as I look at your teams, it seemed like 
you weren't always targeting, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but you weren't always targeting an elite tight end. It seemed like you waited on tight ends a little bit this year uh, as well. Would you say that's accurate? And would you also say um, that has been something that you've applied in the FFPC? Well, I struggle at tight end, honestly. I never really know what to do in my – I, th- I think my thinking evolved this year, but based on past horrifying plays that I've done, um, I either was targeting an elite tight end, and, and we'll see if they're, you know, it's the, you know, Kelsey, Andrews, Pitts, Waller, Kittle. Mm-hmm. Um, Goddard, I targeted a little bit later in the mid rounds, but he really crept up pretty aggressively toward, towards the end. Um, otherwise, it was so flat. Like maybe you hit on, I mean, I guess Gerald Everett. Tyler Higby, you know, like you might hit on a pretty serviceable tight end and I've got a few shares, but I either, it was kind of stars and scrubs. I either like, you know, went for an elite tight end and I tried to do that. If I missed out on them, cause it was hard to get them. They, they flew off the board. Right. I just went really late round. I mean, I've started, started like Granson. What was his name? Kyler. Kylan Granson from, it, from Indy. I'll start anybody at tight end. So I've got teams that are just horrifying at tight end. Um, but, but it's cause I, the reason is if you, if you're trying to get those mid round tight ends and you're often wrong, you may be right, but it's hard to predict is it was right in that pocket where all the zero, you know, the Michael Carter's Daryl Henderson, all the zero RB t- targets were right there. And then the, that last year of wide receiver, you know, the Garrett Wilson's and in those types around, you know, rounds nine, 10, 11, 12. And and so I, I kind of backed my way maybe into doing this kind of stars and scrubs. It, you know, it's worked okay every week. It's some, you know, like, Hey, I got, I'm going to go bid up on Taysom Hill. I'm in, right. you know, like I am just trying to find somebody who I think may score, you know, not, not make me take a zero basically, you know, at the tight end position, just get me a few points. Um, I don't, I do not necessarily recommend this. Uh, I, I just think I may be just really bad. I can't, I found myself making really poor choices. So I'm investing a lot of capital in all these mid-round tight ends and they perform like, you know, occasionally I get a hit, but they're like tight end 20. Right. And so I, I kind of, for better, for worse, this is trial and error on that one. Okay. All right. Well, we're all learning, Frank. This is all about learning. And and uh, we, we always say that, you know, you can play fantasy football for decades and decades and still never master it. And we're all just trying to, because the, the game changes so much too. Right. I mean, who was talking about zero RB 10 years ago, even nobody even heard of it, uh, maybe a little bit longer than 10 years ago, but even still. Um, and, and now we're applying all these different strategies, all these different, uh, um, you know, thought processes and, and trying to apply it to win this life changing money. We're all just trying to learn it. But when it comes down to it, you got to get a few things right. You got to get the draft right. You got to get your waiver wire right. And you got to get your lineups right every single week. Um, and I think as we are trying to help FFPC players or anybody who's watching this podcast right now, we want to help them for week four. The Dolphins and Bengals will be kicking off here shortly. The uh, Saints and Vikings will be kicking off from London early, 9.30 a.m. Eastern yeah. time on Sunday. And then we get the full slate of everything else going on. As you look at your lineups, as you look at everything going on in week four, is there a sleeper that you would recommend a guy that maybe was picked in the mid rounds that not a lot of people have going that you think is in for a big week. And then conversely a player that maybe was drafted high. Maybe people feel like they they're compelled. Like I drafted this guy high. I got to play him that you would actually recommend against starting this week. Yeah. I mean, as far as playing, gosh, this goes back. I was stunned when you made this comment at the beginning. I'm like, Oh my gosh, Eric's going to just hate what I'm going to say at the end of this. Cause you told me you were going to ask me about, by the way, I don't know if these are sleepers. But I'm jamming Romeo Dubs in. Okay. All right. But, but and, this is- and, and let me clarify what I'm going to say about Dobbs. I think right now, at a, on a week-to-week basis, right, I think he could always have a big week. I think this week is interesting because um, you have uh, a situation where the Packers should be able to move the ball pretty good yeah. against New England. And you do have Lazard, who's been limited in practice. Watson, I'm not sure if he didn't practice today. Um, we know Watkins is out. So right now... Yeah, I mean, Dobbs is probably a pretty good flex. Over the course of the season, I'm not so sure I'd be playing him every week. But I think this week, I would have no problem with it. Well, yeah, I don't know if I'm making a week-to-week thing or a season thing. I would be highly encouraged if I were a Green Bay fan or if you own Dobbs. Um, and, and the reason is, 
he had an opportunity, but the opportunity could have been a bad one. He goes out, drops the touchdown pass, and, you know, next thing you know, like there's no trust with Aaron Rodgers. Well, and think about this, Frank. How close were we to – because that very first catch he had against Tampa, he fumbled the football at the end of it, and he fell on it himself. He, like, got it between great, his legs. Great, and everything. Great point, yeah. What if he would have lost that football? We saw what, what Aaron Rodgers did when Christian Watson dropped that 75-yard touchdown against Minnesota. He can get another target to the fourth quarter. I mean, we're not talking about the Romeo Dobbs breakout. This is, like, the weird things that, like, you know, cosmically come together, you know, then it worked out for Dobbs. Remember that first year with Kareem Hunt when he fumbled in his very first play and then he turned out to be Kareem Hunt? You know, he was going the number one overall pick in the main event the very that's next That's right, after, after, after the game. game. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but the thing that's encouraging for any of these rookies, gosh, we've seen so many good rookies this year, is for, for Dobbs, it really is like, does Aaron Rodgers trust you? And where is he throwing it to you on the field? And he, Dobbs really got a lot of catches, you know, in short and intermediate, you know, kind of that. How do we move the ball range? Right. Whereas like Lazard, I mean, I'm I'm not against Lazard, but he didn't seem to have the same, you know, type of usage. Who who, who knows like how that's going to grow or shrink over the I year? I don't even think Rodgers or Lafleur knows uh, how yeah. it's going to go this season from a, on a week-to-week basis at least. But, I mean, I think he got eight targets, you know, mm-hmm. and his first touchdown. Rodgers seemed genuinely pleased for the guy, so – Look, it could be, it's a pretty decent start. So I'm going, I would like, I'm trying to think of somebody that wouldn't be obvious to start. I think Dobbs qualifies for that. I mean, yeah, there are some people that have him on the roster that don't have injury issues or bye week issues, and he's not going to play for him this week. There there are, there are folks too, probably, you know, like they did, they drafted like a Devonta Smith later. I mean, later, like mid rounds or Drake London. Those are guys I just think you have to get in. They aren't sleepers, but like, if people are starting like running backs in their flex and they're only starting two wide receivers, you know, they may say, Oh, I'm going to put them on the bench. I, I guess the player in this pains me to say if that's going to be on my bench, he probably shouldn't be on most people's bench. Cause I have a lot of depth in, in, in many of my teams. And I think he's projected for over 13 points, but is DJ Moore. And it pains me to say it. I love DJ Moore. I go back. It's like, you know, an addiction. And I go back to him every year and I have plenty of DJ Moore. And he's produced with the Kyle Allens of the world, and he's produced with Sam Darnolds. And, you know, everybody thought Baker was going to be an upgrade. I, I just can't take it anymore. I can't, you know, it's so hard to watch, especially when you know the potential of DJ Moore and you're watching what's going on. If he if he blows up on my bench, I'm going to be extremely happy. I hope he goes off for 30 points on my bench. Because, <laughs> right. then, I'll, because then I I've got the rest of the season to play DJ Moore. It's just been punishing. So I tried to think of a player that was really a top, you know, what was DJ Moore going in the second, third round, some, I guess, third round. Yeah, I would say like mostly third. Before you say that player, I will say this about DJ Moore. Pro Football Focus had this this past week. Um, He is seeing a higher percentage of offensive snaps this year as he was at this point last year. Um, And last year he was targeted on just over 25% of his routes. This year it's just over 15%. He led the league in uncatchable targets last season. Um, obviously, I think Sam Darnold had something to do with that. And he and Robbie Anderson this year out of the top five receivers with seven or more uncatchable targets this year and have nine or fewer receptions. Anderson and Moore are two of those guys. I got to believe at this point it can only get better. I think we may have hit rock bottom for DJ Moore in 2022, and I probably shouldn't say that because maybe he's going to even take another step back. But I still I, I feel like it's got to get better and he's going to become startable again. I'm with you, though. I could see why people bench him this week. Well, well most people should start, you right. know, yep. in their, their format where I have options. Like, would you are you playing Drake London over him, Frank? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I've, I've already set my lineups like Garrett I, Wilson. Would you rather play Garrett Wilson or DJ? Yeah, Moore I'm doing that too. Wilson. OK, all right. I, I need I need some time apart, you know, to heal. I I, I just. Like, I actually love the player. I am so beside myself about this offense, this scheme, the way they use – they got CMC, like, trying to run like Nick Chubb or Derrick Henry between the tackles, like bashing him. You know, it's so po- – like, this is a mental health thing. He's probably a good play. I, I will be starting Garrett Wilson and Drake London and Chris Olave and, you know, you, you pick them. If I have a viable option, and if he blows up – if the thing you said – if I had a dollar though for every time I said, Well, this is rock bottom, there's only one way for it to go. And it wasn't. I, 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 I may have lost money on that. 
you know, we said that about the Bears. I did this year, and I don't have a ton of Bears, but I do have some Darnell Mooney, and it was just like, how bad could it be? Answer is really bad. Really bad. Really, yeah. really bad. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I just hope everybody – first of all, I wanted to say, Eric, that, you know, a big part of this, you have, you have like uh, – I was happy to be on this, but you have, like, some really luminary – players on this thing and the ffpc fantasy you're one of them you are one of them well look i, I don't want to be i appreciate you seeing that but like i know where i am and like i like this is a good good team but i i've learned so much from your shows um the community you know i watch what all the top players do you know, he had you had gills on last yeah. week I've, I've gotten to know him a little bit by you know through messaging he's actually a very supportive guy you know he's reached out to me like I, I think he has some like strong takes like in his Twitter and everything but he's like a cool guy to bounce stuff off of he's definitely he, he's one of those rare I'm not, not rare guys but he is definitely a guy when you talk sit down and talk to him in real life and have a conversation or have him on a show yeah his personality there does not match up with his personality on Twitter which it, it, you know it's not a bad thing I'm just saying it's 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 different I find it interesting especially on the you know, when you get, when you get to know him and he, you know, he's not only in football, but I think he's in for his third top five finish in he, baseball. He's, he's done a ton of great, had a ton of great finishes in baseball. In the but, but like, of like I just follow not only you got you, but, but you have so many resources to, to get better. So I appreciate all that you and the FFPC are doing to um, help us get information and, you know, grind away and get a little better each week. And uh, listen, I think after everybody watches this or has watched it or downloads it later, we're all going to get a little better because I know I learned a lot from you tonight. I know our viewers did too. And I can't thank you enough for carving out some time. I know we got kickoff in about a half hour, so I'm going to let you go for that. But okay. uh, at Frank Laprade on Twitter, the hey. leader in the Football Guys Players Championship. Go ahead. Well, I just want to say, look, I appreciate you giving my Twitter out. The number of tweets, I don't tweet. So it doesn't you, matter. It doesn't matter. Because you want to follow me, you're welcome to. But I, it's a cachet thing. If you're following Frank Laprad, you're doing fantasy football. Well, right. If you follow me, I'll follow you back for sure. Because I don't have a lot of followers. So uh, there you go. You're, you're welcome to do it. But F R A N K L A P R A D E on Twitter. Make sure you're doing that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and Frank, we'll do this again real soon. This was just too much fun. Good luck, not only in week four, but the rest of the way, man. We really appreciate it. Well, th thanks for all the kind words and, you know, on to week four. We'll see what happens. On to week four, indeed. Thanks, Frank. Bye-bye. Okay. Frank Laprade, ladies and gentlemen, the leader in the uh, 2022 Football Guys Players Championship. Uh, heading into week four, he's on pace, uh, or he's in the driver's seat to win that $500,000 grand prize. Like he said, it is not a sprint. It is a demolition derby, which I, which I love. Uh, that is going to do it for this uh, episode, ladies and gentlemen. Um, as a reminder, play the FFPC weekly challenge, no draft or salary cap, 10 or 12 players, depending upon if you want to play classic or slim, uh, get them in by Sunday's kickoff. And then you can, uh, uh, see if you can win big money, $35 to enter $200 to enter one player per NFL team. And then new this week, if you want to uh, fork over 200 bucks and join a 10 player league, the winner will take all in that. And all will be a 2023 FFPC main event entry. And you can compete for a million bucks uh, next year as well. Uh, a couple of housekeeping notes that I just want to make you aware of. I don't know if you guys realize this, but we did not have a Rotoviz High Stakes Lowdown the first. I want to do these weekly um, during the course of the season. We didn't have one uh, when I got back from Vegas. It was just too difficult to put a show together. So we're doing uh, two uh, of them this week. You got Frank Laprad tonight. And then tomorrow, uh, we're going to have a special Rotoviz High Stakes Lowdown at, I believe, the same time, 7, 6 Central. Uh, when we're going to talk with uh, a couple of uh, guys who own a top 20 team in the FFPC main event, guys who've been on the HSFFO or before, pros versus Joe's veterans and multi-league champs, it's Caleb Alcorn and Sean Isaacs. They will join me at 7, 6, uh, tomorrow. And you say, Balky, is there no HSFFO? Hell yes, there's an HSFFO at 10, 9 Central. We'll be doing that show. It'll be myself and Farrell Elliott and Greg Link, the uh, week two second place team owner in the FFPC main event is going to hop aboard. Guy's been runner-up in the super bracket before, a very talented FFPC high-stakes player as well. Thank you so much for watching. Remember to get your lineups in. If you haven't submitted them, you got about 30 minutes before kickoff. And uh, also remember, uh, in case you don't catch either show tomorrow, get those lineups in early for London uh, with a 9.30 a.m. kickoff between the Saints and the Vikings. Thank you so much for watching. Enjoy the game tonight. And I will see you again right here on the FFPC YouTube channel tomorrow.
Thank you for listening to the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. And thanks to Grapes for our theme music. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Rotoviz radio feed. It helps us find new listeners. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think and follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 10% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. <laughs>